Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Being Honest With My Ex. Uh, it's very special because there's no SJ, which is the best type of episode of Being Honest With My Ex. Oh, I think we can all agree. My heart. <laughs> Instead, we have my weeping friend, Frankie. Now, Frankie, you've been on this podcast before, but under a different name. I should say so. Yeah, I guess I was under a different name and a different circumstance. I mean, I was here because I didn't like you. Although I guess I liked you then. No, at that point you did like me. <laughs> One of my few regrets in life is that I didn't bring a microphone to our first meeting because that would have been so fascinating. And afterwards you were like, I would have been fine with that. And I was like, ah, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So for those who don't know or remember, Frankie used to go by... Alice. And you were on the show because... I sent you hate mail. <laughs> 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 Which is still one of my favorite stories of all time. Uh, yeah, so Frankie sent me hate mail. We read it on air and then we met up and became fast friends. <laughs> I tell this story all the time and people are like, this has never happened to anyone else in the history of mankind. It's a good meet cute. It's a good meet cute. And then we obviously got together and had a baby. And now we <laughs> live together in uh, your girlfriend's house in Toronto. It's great. Uh, totally. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> so Frankie's here because it's been... How long since the last episode of Being Honest with Max? I'm not sure, but hang on. I'm going to double check the date so I can give it to you. It's definitely been more than two years because I don't think we've recorded a single episode since Henry was born and Henry's about to turn four. Yeah, that was November 2nd, 2017. Oh, that's even longer than I thought. Over four years, but in fairness, two of those have been pandemic years. So those aren't real years. Yeah, that's really true, actually. Pandemic really ruined time. So it's been two years since the pandemic and then two years before that. So we've not done an episode in four years and a month and 10 days. And I know a lot of people were curious as to what we were up to. We don't have an SJ. No SJ because she, well, we'll get into why. She's alive. Don't worry. We're still friends. That's not the thing. And so because no one wants to hear an hour of me talking about myself into a microphone, I invited Frankie along to be the interviewer. So Frankie, you've prepared some questions, I believe. Is that right? I did. I went back and I sort of cherry picked a little bit and listened to a few episodes to sort of ask some questions and figure out the best questions to ask you throughout sort of the journey of the end of being honest with my ex. And I'm very curious to see if it all works out. I'm curious to know the answers to a lot of these questions. <laughs> I think I want to know. You're in a weird spot because you and I have been connected in real life for four years. So you know bits and pieces of what the listeners don't. But I thought you were a good audience conduit. There's a few elements and things that I want to know the answer to as well, even just like separate entirely. Like the question that I've always wanted to know, and I'm going to ask it during this. And maybe I won't ask it yet. I won't tell you what it is. I have one question <laughs> that I want to know teasing. the answer to. I'll, I'll tell you the one question I'm not going to answer. It's probably the same question, which is why did me and SJ break up? Ah, curse! <laughs> <laughs> it's a story, but uh, you, you will not be hearing that today. So let's jump into it. Frankie, hit me. Okay, I will. My first question is, where are you, Peter? I am in sunny LA. I live in Hollywood. I live right in the downtown of Hollywood, which if you don't know Hollywood sounds fancy. And if you do know Hollywood, you're like, Peter, that's a bad area. That's, <laughs> that's not something to be proud of. But I, uh, I picked my apartment because it's directly across the road from UCB LA. And uh, if you know where UCB LA is, you can now stalk me, I guess. What's UCB LA for those of us who oh, don't know? Yes. Excellent question. So LA is actually the initials for Los Angeles, and that's the city where Hollywood is. So uh, Los Angeles is a city in California. End of answer. I think I covered that pretty nicely. Um, UCB is the United <laughs> Citizens Brigade, and it's a big improv troupe in the US. So I haven't done improv since I left Australia. Improv is how I met SJ, and then I did a lot in Australia, moved to Toronto, did not do any improv while I was there. And now I'm in LA. I really desperately want to do improv, but I moved here in March 2020. <laughs> Which, if, if you remember your history, kids, is a bad time to move to a city and start getting to know people. So I moved here literally the day I got all my furniture was the day before lockdown began. So UCB has not been open since the day I moved in. I have not gotten to do any improv there in my entire time here in LA, which has been almost two years now. Yeah, it was very rough, but I'm, I'm in Hollywood. And I'm in Hollywood by myself. No family here to prelude the next question. <laughs> it's actually not the next question. That's going to be like question number five-ish on my list. My next question is, where's SJ? Where'd she go? SJ is still in Melbourne. And end of answer. What else do you need? Uh, no, she's in Melbourne. She lives with her boyfriend, Graham. 
mm-hmm. and they have, I believe, a dog and housemates. And she just won a huge award. Did you hear about this? I did. Because I'm a terrible friend, I don't remember what the award is, but it's like the Mental Health Award of Australia. Like, it's the biggest award you can win. And then while the podcast has been off, she won one of the biggest podcasting awards you can win. She's just been winning awards left, right and centre. She's had a great time. Does she know that you're doing this? cheating on her on this podcast is there consent to this cheating experience if if there's consent i don't think it's cheating (laughs) so it's in a weird gray area because we have a chat that we still use and we check in on each other and we chat and i said hey frankie's going to be interviewing me for a special episode is there anything that you do or don't want me to mention and she saw it and never responded and we've talked since then so i'm like I feel like I did due diligence by telling her and I'll send this to her before it goes out in case she wants to veto anything. But like, she knows she just didn't acknowledge it. (laughs) Right, right. She did say, I hate Frankie now. I guess guess that was an acknowledgement. So I do have a question on here that says, does SJ like me? And so I'm just a little bit upset (laughs) by what you just said. Answered, done, nailed it. I'm like listening to the last episode that I listened to in preparation for this. It made me so sad to hear her voice because I was just like, I miss her because you I have. I talk to you. I can speak to you whenever I want. (laughs) We work together in various contexts. But like that was my only source of her. And her voice is just so lovely. Momentary moment of silence for her. She's a beautiful, beautiful human. This is part of why I wanted to do it, because, like, I'm still in contact with a lot of listeners, but there's definitely a lot of listeners who I've never talked to in any capacity. And, oh, man, the way we left off was rough. And, like, it was a bad ending to the show. And so there's a lot of people who are like, ah, well, that's the most recent thing I know about Peter, that he was awful. And as well as that, you know, as people do, I've grown and changed in the last four years. So again, to lean into the theme of self-indulgency that has been my hallmark for the entire run of this podcast, I wanted to do an episode to be like, hey, here's an update on where I am and and what's happening all that, just so that that's not the last (laughs) fucking mouthful of Peter that you got. Yeah, it's a rough ending. I really like going back and listening and even like, you know, like the argument is one thing, but then like you going on the walk, it's like this really somber, sad moment where you guys are like sort of talking about things and the way that it ends where she's just like, well, I'm going to go now. I'm tired. And you're like, I'm tired too. And then you just both like exit stage left and it's over. (laughs) That's the end. That's the end of the podcast. It's really rough. Okay. So next question, where's your family? Like you had a baby. Where's your baby? I still have the baby and he's, he's still in Toronto. So I had a divorce. And so this is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately coming into this is like, I I can't go into the details because that's not fair to my ex at all. Like, no matter what I say, it's always going to be like my framing and my side of the story. And so I would love to, don't get me wrong. I, I would love nothing more than to like dive in and give all the details because I find it all really interesting. Like, you know, I had a divorce. I'm not with my son anymore. I moved countries. I split up and left my family. That was huge. I did a lot of therapy and and stuff like that to deal with it. Yeah, it really hit me really fucking hard. But I have an ongoing relationship with this person because we're raising a kid together. Even if I tried my absolute hardest to be as just and fair and even-minded and tell both sides of the story, like it's always going to be the Peter side of the story and it's always going to be told through that lens and... I very, very much doubt my ex would ever want to come on and be honest with my ex. You know, I don't think that's uh, that's of any interest. And then even, even for my son, who, you know, as he grows up, will be able to find and listen to this. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's a good idea. So it's contrary to every bone in my body not to be like, so let me tell you this three year story of divorce and, and heartbreak and international travel and, and me being a dick and like all kinds of stuff that I would so as a performer would so love to dive into and as a self-reflective like podcast host and and you know you and I have d- dove into it and divin into it and dove into it and so it's not something I never talk about it's just I don't think it's I don't think it's morally right or fair or decent or nice to talk about that on the podcast. The truncated version is we split up and I left the country and now I live in LA and see my son whenever I can. In two weeks time, I'm I'm going up to go stay with him and Mm -hmm. uh, spend time with him because I love him. He's amazing and he's perfect. That's wonderful. Why'd you choose me to do this? I'm curious. 
Oh, a self-indulgent question. How how in keeping with the show? Yeah. <laughs> so there are a few reasons. One is that you're a known entity to the audience. Like if I was just like, hey, new friend I met in LA, do you want to ask me about this podcast? And I'm not even saying anyone will listen to this, but let's pretend that some people are like, oh, a new episode of Being Us My Ex. How delightful. I think it's better for them as a listener experience if it's someone who, you know, they've at least had some contact with. Secondly, and I don't think you'll disagree with me on this, you are like the Being Us My Ex number one super fan. <laughs> like <laughs> out of... Anyone I know who likes the show, I think you like it more than everyone else put together. And so I figured you would be a good, like I said, an audience conduit in that, like, you know what the listeners want to hear. And what they want to hear is, why did you pick Frankie? (laughs) (laughs) And we click, we get along, we have long, beautiful conversations all the time, which is why the podcast started in the first place, because me and SJ were having these long, interesting conversations. And fourthly, I think you're interesting. If you were a bad performer or a boring human, (laughs) I would not have (laughs) asked you to do this. Well, that's nice. Thank you. I was going to say, yeah, you set up that question for just like four minutes of flattery. It's great. Yeah, it was, that, that worked out well for me, actually. I didn't anticipate <laughs> it, but I'm, I'm really into the outcome. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> I was really struck listening to the last episode, and I think I maybe mentioned this at the beginning or in the warm up. I'm not sure. But it just it made me so sad to listen to you guys chatting and knowing that like we have no idea what has happened since then, not only since then, but also like even the inner workings of that moment, like any any situation that you have with a person when you're actually in the situation looks different than it does four years later. And so my next question for you on that is what does that look like four years later to you? Like when you think back to that last moment when you were you guys went for dinner at a place where I think you talked about it being your first date. Yeah. Is it your first date? You went for, you went yep, for dinner. First date. Yeah. Grilled on, I think, Carlton Street. Yeah. And then you went for a long walk during which there was a lot of people making a lot of noises, lots of dogs barking and a lot of traffic. Yeah. A lot of traffic. Terrible recording environment. Yeah. You know, though, it really like it really gave a vibe. So I feel like it was a good <laughs> recording environment for what was happening. Well, that's nice. But coming away from that, And when you look back on that moment where you parted ways, did you think that you weren't going to record any more episodes? Like, what did you think was going to happen? You had this like two month break planned and then what? Oh, did we? I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I definitely, definitely, definitely thought we were going to come back. The reason that I'm doing this is not only the things that I said, it's because I just miss it. I miss it so much. I miss it on a weekly basis. It was a unique time in my life, I guess, to be a little twee about it. I definitely wasn't intending that to be the end of the show forever. And in fact, the <laughs> those very, very unpopular episodes we released in the interim <laughs> was me trying to like, you know, keep some kind of posting schedule going so that we could come back and not have lost our entire fan base. Like that mm-hmm. was... That was me trying to be like, okay, well, we're not recording this week, so I'll find something. Okay, well, we're not recording this week, so I'll find something. Like, that was that was me struggling to let go. This might not directly answer your question, but I remember when... Oh, okay, so I don't do great with being broken up with. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty common challenge. <laughs> As I'm sure many of us don't. But my brain just is like... Well, this isn't happening, surely. And so I'll attempt these little compromises. When SJ and I broke up, here we go. You'll get a little bit of a breakup story. (laughs) When we broke up the first time, (laughs) we were lying in bed and we were like, okay, but we'll still be like best friends who live together and talk every day. And it's just me basically saying we'll still be together while, you know, technically not being together. So I was like, okay, but we'll do, we'll still, you know, be each other's life partners forever and live in the same house and depend on each other emotionally and maybe even have sex sometimes. I don't know. Like, anything's <laughs> on the table. And I was dating someone during the first year of being honest with my ex. I can't remember what her pseudonym was, but when we broke up, I did the exact same thing. And I was just like, okay, but we can still, like, go on dates and have sex and be boyfriend and girlfriend, even though they were not boyfriend and girlfriend. And so I really distinctly remember that when SJ and I were like, we're not going to do the podcast anymore. I was like, okay, but we can still like have long two hour calls once a week and record them. Like (laughs) we just wouldn't edit and put them up. 
And I think that's when SJ was like, have you noticed that you do this when you're being broken up with? Like, you don't accept the breakup? <laughs> and not, not hopefully not in a, in a horrible manipulative way, but it's that exact thing of like, okay, sure. Like, we won't live together anymore, but I'll still have all my stuff here and sleep <laughs> here overnight. I just won't live here. When we decided to stop doing the podcast, I was still like, okay, but let's just have big, long conversation record them. Because I think that's an interesting thing to do. And SJ was like, no, Peter, that's recording a no. podcast. That's the thing that we're not doing anymore. Yeah. I mean, hindsight is like 2020, but I have to say listening to those last sort of few moments where she talked, well, maybe it wasn't in the last few moments, but she talks a little bit about wanting to have two months off to get, get through her emails. That was the big thing. How was it? <laughs> Take a break and to get through the emails. I would bet that she's still not gotten through those emails. <laughs> and I did. That is one of my questions. Do you know if she got through the emails? I believe you called it the Reginald Reginald method or something which the was Reginald just... method yes <laughs> um, I've still been making board games over the last few years and the most recent board games that we did we put it on Kickstarter didn't end up funding but we're hopefully going to relaunch it and ha- do better the artist for that is the guy who wrote the comic that the Reginald method is from so I'm, I'm, oh, I got cool. to like work with that guy Anthony Clark who goes by Nedroid I'll put a link in the show notes to the Reginald method comic but yeah I've done an entire game with him and we worked together every day for like a few months it was wonderful cool <laughs> She sort of talks about how she's going to take two months off and just sort of take a break because she's just tired and she has too many things on the go and she just needs to take a break. But in a way that I feel like I identify with her probably nearly in an unhealthy manner. (laughs) You know, you're right now literally replacing her, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I think back to like when I wrote you that hate mail. I identified a lot with her at that time and what you represented to me and hence why I wrote the hate mail. And so now doing the same thing, which probably is equally as unhealthy as it was then. So maybe I'll send you hate mail afterwards. I don't know. That'd be good. (laughs) A little callback to our roots. (laughs) Listening to what she said and the way she said it, and maybe hindsight's 2020, but it sounds like she knows that she's not going to do it again. Like she's like, no, I'm done with this here. It's probably one of those things where... You don't consciously realize it, but you know on some level. Yeah. I'm trying to give an example. Uh, it's sort of like when you see people out in the street and you're like, yeah, let's get a drink. And they're like, yeah, let's. Yeah. But you never exchange numbers and you just kind of walk never away. You do it. Yeah. For me, it's more like, um, I'm trying to work out if I can talk about my divorce without talking about my divorce. It's, uh, yeah. it, it was such a defining moment in my life. So now it's, it's the second breakup I'm not discussing on this podcast. It's <laughs> just doubling down on the annoyance. Before my divorce, I was really invested in writing this sitcom pilot where someone breaks up with his partner who is trans and has recently had a baby. <laughs> and I had no idea that I was about to get divorced. <laughs> Wow. And yet, <laughs> and yet, uh, oh, Ted, Ted Lasso is another example. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Uh, no. Oh, it's amazing. It's my number one recommendation of shows to watch for the last 10 years. It's, it's so good. It's written by the star, Jason Sudeikis, and it's about a guy who's grappling with his divorce. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it. And then six months later, completely out of the blue, for him, got divorced. And he promises that he was not expecting that he was not like (laughs) anticipating it it just happened to be that this incredible piece of work was about getting divorced right before and my my work was not incredible my work was garbage but uh (laughs) ted lasso is amazing right before he got divorced he wrote about getting divorced and so like it's that sort of thing of like you you don't know that's happening but part of you is almost prepping for it and so i think that was sj like prepping for it prepping me for it prepping her for it even if she didn't know maybe she did but she's not manipulative or conniving or anything like that so i would guess that she didn't know and maybe she really did want two months off and at the end of two months was like this has been great let's never do it again or maybe because she's not here maybe i was the one who didn't want to do it anymore and i've just completely forgotten because i i (laughs) have learned from doing this podcast and i do warp these memories because maybe i was the one who's like hey let's not do this anymore who knows all right now we're gonna dig in a little bit. A little okay. bit. Okay, let's do it. You know who you're talking to. You don't have to, like, dance around. You don't have to be like, okay, Peter, emotionally prepare yourself. We're going to talk <laughs> yeah, about this fair. thing that you asked me to ask you about. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I think you should give a synopsis of the argument. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I think you should give a synopsis of the argument from your perspective now, four years later. 
<laughs> good luck. Oh, my God. It's very, for me, it's very black and white. She was a cunt and I called her out for it. No. Jesus no. Christ, Peter. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm leaving this podcast. <laughs> okay, but we can still, like, record the interview and then release it. And like, That's not how it works. <laughs> no, I, I really do think it was very black and white in that, like, I completely fucked up on stage. I made tasteless jokes and the audience didn't respond to them and i was we got a reddit comment when we released that being like i really wish peter would fucking stop talking about doing the show while doing the show because when we're doing those live shows if a joke didn't land i'd be like oh that joke didn't land just as an observation and i imagine that was distracting and annoying because this guy was like hey this was distracting and annoying and that was my first hint and it's it's interesting because like i I must have been uncomfortable on stage. I hadn't done any performance. Like I said, I haven't done any improv since I left Australia. So that was my first performance of any kind in, what was that, three years at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was just completely unused to it. And I was very awkward and uncomfortable. And I was was like, I'm not saying that as in like, oh, I wish I'd done it. I hated it. But like, I was was self-aware, I guess. I was very self-aware. And because of the nature of the show and the nature of what we're doing, I was calling out my observations as I had them. And apparently that really just irritated the fuck out of this one guy and probably others as well. And so I made just a terrible rape joke, not funny, wasn't wasn't worth, it wasn't interesting, no one was entertained. I probably didn't like it that much after I said it, but I was just throwing out whatever I could and trying to get a laugh, because that was how I did at the time. And it didn't land, and I called it out, and then SJ, I think, took me calling it out as like, okay, well, let's discuss it. Or maybe fucking I was like, well, let's discuss why that didn't work. And then we went backstage, and I completely reversed the memory to from being like... I knew I made this bad joke and I knew I made this terrible joke and I knew it was awkward. And then I projected the blame, basically, which is, and this is not me defending myself, but it is a very common thing. When something happens, you are like, I don't want to deal with that being my fault. So whose fault can it be? And so obviously it was SJ's fault. And so in the second half, from my memory, I've not listened to that again. (laughs) Oh boy. I just kept on bringing it up. I just kept on bringing it up again and again and again and again to the point where SJ was like, okay, well now we got to talk about it. Like, let's dive into whatever this is. Or maybe she didn't. Maybe she was like, let's move on. And I was like, no, let's talk about this. And then after the show, I went back and basically curled up into a ball. Like after the first show, we went out and hung out with all our friends and had a great time. After that second show, I was just like, And then went out and hung out with people. In the gap of however many days between that and the next recording, I barely slept because I was catching up with everyone in Melbourne. And so when we sat down to record, I had firmly got it in my mind that I'd made this bad joke and that SJ couldn't let it go. Whereas listening back again, the reality was I'd made this bad joke and then I couldn't let it go. And so like I was saying, I just projected all of this like guilt and awkwardness and things onto SJ because I hadn't listened to that point. Between those two episodes, you know, I went back to Canada and edited it. And so between recording the live shows and recording the argument on the bed, I, I remember it was on a bed, I remember it so distinctly, I hadn't listened back at all. And so I had it firmly in my head that I made this bad joke and that SJ wouldn't let it go. And I fucking attacked her for it. I was full on like, why did you do this? You are being a cunt. This was not okay. You're an awful person. Like, I think I really laid into her. And she at the start was like, I don't think I did that. But I was so sure of it. I was so convinced and so emphatic that she was like, look, you seem to be very sure that I did this. So I guess I did here's maybe what I was thinking, I guess. And I was like, not good enough. Still not okay. You shouldn't have done it. And she was like, I guess you're right. Like, yeah, I guess I should. I guess that was a dick move. And I was like, yeah, you need to apologize. Like, I just was the worst. (laughs) Just the absolute worst. Like, we got people writing in being like, hey, I'm never listening to this show again. I sent in an intro. You are not allowed to use that intro. I don't want to be associated with this show. I don't want to be associated with Peter. He is a bully, he is uh, misogynistic, he is a gaslighter, he is manipulative. And they were absolutely not wrong. In that argument, I was the worst I've ever been. And in my worst, I am apparently manipulative and a gaslighter. And as I say apparently, like, it's apparent. <laughs> I learned from listening to that episode, from editing that episode. Editing that episode was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life, bar none. SJ used to hate editing the show. So editing just became my job entirely. I was in charge of editing. And it wasn't until listening to... Because the timing was we recorded the live show where I was awful. And then we recorded the argument on the bed where I was a hundred times worse. And then I had to edit the live show. And editing the live show, I had to listen to myself just like a dog with a bone. Just like dig in and not let go. And just refuse to like drop it and just bring it up myself and 
knowing all the while that in the next episode I was just going to be attacking SJ for the things that I was doing. So recording that live episode was awful. Recording the argument on the bed was, like I said, I was a hundred times worse and editing it was a hundred times worse. To the point where I would edit about 20 seconds, then stop for five minutes. Then edit 20 seconds and stop for five minutes. I, I just couldn't do it. And so that was the first time when I really understood why SJ hated editing the show so much. <laughs> because that shame and that self-loathing and that like I am not only being an awful person but I'm and I don't think SJ was an awful person but I think that she saw herself as an awful person editing some of the early episodes I think she was like oh I said this thing oh why did I put it like that and like yeah before that I was fucking bulletproof I'd be like oh man I'm being a dick here well what an interesting thing or like I'm making a racist joke well I made it and I think it's kind of funny so I'll keep it in but editing that argument on the bed I was like I am being the worst I have ever been or the worst that I've ever been that I know of, because once you listen to that, you're like, maybe I've been like this for years all the time, just never recorded it before. Like I've said before that recording yourself <laughs> doing a podcast will make you grow as a person faster than anything else, <laughs> because you will see all your worst habits and your worst like verbal tics and your, the worst things that you do. And then editing it, you're just like, oh, Peter, what the fuck are you doing? I'm so used to doing a podcast where I can't swear because I've done a few podcasts since being on some X. So it's very <laughs> delightful to be able to swear in this one. <laughs> And so, yeah, editing that, I fully understood why SJ hated doing the show. Editing that episode is a big reason why the show doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And the thing is, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I was so hyper aware of at the time. I didn't have to release it. No one would ever know if we didn't release that episode. And the whole time I was editing it, I was like, I could just stop right now and I could tell SJ I don't want to release this. And that would be okay. Like, she wouldn't be like, no, Peter, you have to. I think I could probably find it. I think I just like, while editing it, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And just like a wall of text apologizing. I might've even called her and been like, I'm so sorry. Or again, maybe I fucking didn't. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I apologized effusively. Yeah. And if I'd said to her, I don't want to release her episode, she would have been like, of course. I was very tired. We were both very tired. Uh, for reasons that I won't go into, that trip was emotionally draining for non-SJ reasons at all. Like that was probably one of the worst trips of my entire life. And I was emotionally fatigued on so many levels and physically tired because I wasn't sleeping partially because of the emotional fatigue, partially because I was catching up with people. So I was at a low and then I just latched on and attacked. And she would have been like, yeah, we don't have to release this. But the nature of the show is being honest with my ex and it's about putting yourself out there. And so I, f I felt like it was important. I felt like even though it would ruin my reputation with a lot of listeners, and I suspect there are people who will never listen to me again and never like me again, I still think it was worth it, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, which is weird. Firstly, because, you know, I don't have a personal relationship with listeners. Like, if you'd listen and never talk to me again, that would have been a big deal. But you were like, I don't know, what, yeah, what, what was your thoughts when that episode came out? I'm really curious. I didn't You're listen. You're like, Peter's great. SJ's <laughs> awful. Jesus Christ, no. Jesus Christ, no. We all know I'm in it for SJ. We all know that. Yeah, this episode is like the worst episode of the show for you because there's no SJ at all. It's a real challenge. I did have moments while I was writing my questions where I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> no, I, I listened to those episodes out of order. So I don't think I listened to them as they came out because it was like they were sort of towards the end. There was like some sporadic gaps before those ones came out. And I didn't like the live episodes, I'll be honest with you, because I just found them like really difficult to focus on because I think part of what I really enjoyed about the podcast obviously is the two of you speaking and like SJ's emotional honesty and your like frankness and direct conversation but also frankiness but yeah oh yeah 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 exactly <laughs> we all need to be a little bit more franky <laughs> but actually I think was the sound like the way that you guys spoke and the sound of SJ's voice I find the sound of SJ's voice like so incredibly calming it's like what what my insides like maybe ASMR. sound like. Yeah, it is a bit like ASMR, which is funny. I had a funny conversation about ASMR today, but I do think that, that was part of it. You gotta tell me the story now. That's that's how podcasting works. You can't do an aside. Oh God. 
So uh, a friend of mine likes to send joke ASMRs and he'll be like, I'm doing this ASMR. And then he like talks all breathily. And what I realized was that I actually really dislike ASMR unless it's accidental. And so there's a few ASMR experiences that I really appreciate. However, they can't be intentional. I find the intentional ones really, really awkward. And like they they repulse me a little bit, like someone rubbing a hairbrush on a microphone. I just find like, whoa, it was gross. The saddest sound is that for me. It gives me the shivers in the bad way. Yeah, see, I'm, but like, if it's not intentional, like somebody's voice who just like, I find very soothing, and I found SJ very much had that for me. And so the live episodes, I found very difficult to focus on because the sound was totally different. And so I think a lot of what happened in the live episodes, I didn't so much pick up on. It was only after the fact. Oh, you missed a hilarious joke then, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And then like listening, I was like, I think... I also just sort of was like, this is really weird what's happening. Like, it felt like everything was kind of imploding. And I didn't like that. Yeah. I think, now that I'm remembering, I think I put a disclaimer on that episode being like, hey, guys, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I hate myself. I was awful. Enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, you you did do that. So, yeah, listening to that episode, what did you think? Which episode? The argument on the bed. Oh, the argument on the bed. I didn't go back and re-listen so i would have to go back and re-listen to like truly remember what my thinking was oh no, no i mean i mean i mean at the time were you like i can't oh, be friends yeah. with peter anymore no definitely not i at the time i think i already had a really clear or at least i thought i did have a really clear view into sort of you and what you come with as a human being and sort of like your frankness and your openness. And so because I trust your like complete honesty, I also trust that like there's nothing malicious within any of that. There was nothing malicious. And I your self-realization was part of that experience. And we all have self-realization, which I think is actually a really important part of making someone human. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about while you were talking was self-realization and that moment of self-realization, because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this was a really peculiar Peter moment. Like this is not something that happens to you on a regular basis. People like me and SJ are like every day, well, maybe not SJ, I won't speak for her, but I know for me, (laughs) practically every other day, I'm like, whoa, what's this thing inside my head? Whoa, what's happening? What's this emotional experience? Oh, I see what you're saying. Whereas I feel like this was sort of a shake moment. Like it's kind of a moment that was different for you and probably have not had that many in your lifetime. Does that sound correct? I don't know if I agree. It was definitely a huge one. I think I've had them more since then. Hmm. So that one was definitely huge. That was a big moment because that argument, while it was like the shittiest I've been recorded, I've had similar arguments with people where I've just been like, I've just locked in. I think that one was different because I was completely wrong. Like it was 180 degrees from the, from the truth. Like I was taking all the stuff that I had said and been like, SJ, why did you say this? Mm-hmm. And so while I don't think that exact combination of things has happened again, as, as far as I know, I've definitely had those same moments of just locking in on a thing and being able to let go and just being a real dick around it. And I think it's been, and this, this is awful, but I think it's been exclusively with relationships, like romantic relationships. Again, not, not a defense for an excuse, but I, I feel like this maybe is not that uncommon where like you are, you are your worst with the person you're with, which I don't know why that's the case. Do you know why that's the case? Why is that the case, Frankie? Solve this for me. <laughs> I think it's a fact of safety. I think when you feel safe with someone and you let out all of your insides, you really let out all of your insides. Like once it started spilling, you can't stop it in a way. And it's like that comes with like the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. It seems so counterintuitive to me that we are the most awful to the people we love the most. Yeah. It's because we feel the safest, I think. Safe to be awful. Oh God. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense in my brain. I, I think you're right. I just can't, I can't make sense of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, with my ex and with SJ and possibly with like very close friends in the past, but definitely with my ex and with SJ, I've had those like, we are in a fight now and I've got to win. I've got to show you how awful you are, mm-hmm. whether or not it's based on truth. And it's just like everything they say bounces off because I'm so focused on like, I need you to say this. I need yeah. you to acknowledge this. I need you to tear yourself down so that I feel sane, I guess. I I need you to acknowledge that, hey, you said these awful, awful things and I won't listen to a single thing you say until I feel like you've said that. And I I feel like it's a very masculine thing. I don't mean that in a a good way, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) 
And I think as men, we're socialized to like, oh, I don't know what it is, just be, just be awful. And again, there's, there's not an excuse. I'm not saying like, it's okay. I was born with testes, so I'm allowed to be awful to people. But like, <laughs> and I don't think it's exclusive that. I think there are times when women do it and have done it. But I think that in the male-female dynamic, it's much more likely to be coming from a man to a woman being like, you need to hate yourself right now for me to feel okay about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's also an interesting sort of, I feel like cultural zeitgeist, if you will. Like it's a real thing in the last the last couple of years. I feel like feminism is alive and well and like white male privilege is under a, an intense microscope. And so we're all aware right. of things that previously we kind of were ignoring. Yeah. But to answer your question, over the last four years, none as big as that revelation, but I feel like I've had those revelations all the time. I'll give you a business one. So I launched a Kickstarter halfway through this year called Cartouche, which we have mm-hmm. a very uh, attractive graphic designer for. And <laughs> Hi! <laughs> uh, Frank is doing the graphic design on Cartouche. It looks great. And that didn't do that well on Kickstarter. This is before we got you in, so can't even blame you for this one. Nothing to do with me. And I've been running these Kickstarters since 2016. And my co-designer, Jeff, came in after the Kickstarter kind of didn't do that well and was like, hey, Peter, I want to talk to you about like, why did you do it like this? And he kind of like pulled up the page and was like, it looks like this. It looks like it was like made five years ago. And I was like, oh yeah, I've been, I've been just following the template that I made five years ago ever since. And so our next Kickstarter, which didn't fund for unrelated reasons, looked like a modern Kickstarter. And obviously this is a very like corporate example, but it was that exact same thing of like, Oh my God, I've been doing this dumb thing, not even questioning it, not even realizing I'm doing it, and I need to change. So that has been just like, I've had five of those this year alone. (laughs) So I don't know if that was like the first one or the biggest one or the first one that I was aware of or what, but like, maybe you're right. Maybe like podcast Peter had never had that before. And since Mm -hmm. then, it's just become a a fucking part of my day-to-day life. It's just exhausting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you think that, like, do you think about that? Like the, the situation with SJ specifically, do you think about it regularly? The, the fight on the bed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I've really, 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 really focused on in the last two years, basically since my divorce, like I said, I've been doing a lot of journaling and therapy. And one of the things I've become obsessed with is noticing when my higher faculties aren't functioning and noticing when I feel a certain way and noticing... Because, you know, that fight happens when I feel a certain way. And so the way I think about it is like locking down. When I feel myself locking down, I'm like, hey, whoever I'm talking to, we need to stop having this conversation because of me. It's nothing to do with you. I just can feel myself getting into this state where I don't like myself when I'm in that state. And I will say things that I don't want to say and I will hurt you and I don't want to do any of that. Can we just take a break, come back to this conversation later? Or like, can I just acknowledge this? And if you really want to keep talking about it now, we can just like try to get through it as fast as possible. So basically since my divorce, I haven't been that person again, except for once. And it crushed me. I was like, no, I'm back to being that Peter. I don't want to be that Peter. This is the worst. And, and again, I was overtired. I hadn't slept for about three days and I was very, very stressed. And in this case, I think the other person actually was wrong. <laughs> But instead of, like, being kind and compassionate, I was like, pithy comment, pithy comment, you need to feel bad about yourself. And then immediately saw I was doing it and stopped and apologized and, like, went and was by myself for three days to deal with it. Since then, it's it's not been a part of my life because I, I recognize the feeling. One of the things I notice if it's I am, if I'm constantly going back to the window, if I'm like, are they typing? Have they said something? Are they typing? Have they said something? That for me is a huge red flag of like, oh, Peter, you are fixating. You need to not have this conversation right now. So I will say something like, hey, I need to not have this conversation right now and close the window. Mm -hmm. And if the person is like, well, we're going to have it, blah, blah, blah. Then I start wondering if that's a person I want to have in my life, (laughs) which sounds harsh, but like, If I'm expressing, I need to not have this conversation, they're like, well, I'm in that same fired up mode. That's not healthy for either of us. No. I don't want to be that person. And if the other person is putting me in a situation where I'm going to be that person, I don't know if I want to have that other person in my life, which I feel weird saying that because it's such a like... No. 
I like, I support that so wholeheartedly. I have had such a different relationship with conflict since the end of my last relationship, which is when you and I became friends. And I'm a firm believer now that the need to remove yourself from a conversation, like that's sort of like in my mind, it's sort of like consent. Like it's that moment where like you need to have the personal right to remove yourself from a situation that makes you uncomfortable, whether it's a physical discomfort or an emotional discomfort, like you need to be able to have that autonomy to take yourself away and decide how you want to proceed in that moment. And if somebody tries to take that away from you, like that's a toxic relationship. And there's so much that's problematic within that. For me, the really key thing is recognizing when you are in that zone, when you are becoming that person. As soon as you recognize that in yourself, then it's up to you to stop and walk away. And it's hard. It's so hard. Like I said, I tend to fixate. And so this idea of like, oh, but I've got to show, I've got to, I've got to, you know, zip out, slap out the zingers and show them what a, what a stupid head they're being. I replaced cunt with stupid head for your delicate ears. <laughs> they're so delicate. <laughs> Recognizing that in myself is, is the thing that I've primarily worked on in terms of self-growth over the last two years and will continue to for years because I keep finding new ones. And, and so like one of them is if I'm underslept and that sounds so simple, but if I'm underslept now, I just won't even start the conversation because I know once I start, I'll want to continue. Once I continue, it turns into a fight. Once it turns into a fight, I'll fixate. Mm-hmm. Do you think that SJ forgives you? Like properly. I mean, I think I know that there is a lot of um, a lot of levels of forgiveness shown in the episodes in the last episodes. But um, do you think she truly forgives you? I think so. I I would be shocked if she didn't, because like I said, we're still close. Like we don't record a podcast every week, which gives you a whole new level of closeness. But we still talk to each other. That's still what's happening in life. She came to America last two years ago, uh, pre-pandemic. So I've got to adjust for the for the missing year. She came to America and we hung out and just like went driving and, and had a good time. We got back together. We got engaged. We got married. It was the whole thing. Had kids. Off you went. Yeah. <laughs> and so if, if she didn't forgive me, that would be, again, duplicitous. And she's not yeah. a duplicitous person. I genuinely no. don't believe that. I think that she is correctly more wary around me. And I think that that's reasonable, but that's separate to forgiveness, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I forgive her too. You didn't ask, but I'll. Uh... I did not ask. I did not, Peter. <laughs> SJ, if you're listening, I forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> stop it, Peter. Just stop. Jesus. <laughs> I don't have any other deep emotional questions about the argument, the podcast, but I am curious to know if you had like one tweet to explain yourself, what would you say? I was a dick and I was wrong. Like, there's no explaining it. I'm not of the mind that, like, what I did was reasonable or nice or generous or kind or a good thing on any level. I'm not like, no, look, look, I was a dick, but, like, I was just a dick to one of my closest friends in the world. And part of the reason I think that she did forgive me is that for everyone else, this is a podcast that will live on forever and ever. For, like, for her and I, it was one of the many fights that we'd had over the years that, like, the next day you apologize and you're and you kind of fine again. The difference is that it was recorded. So mm-hmm. like SJ, I think probably barely thinks about that ever <laughs> because when <laughs> we were together, I guarantee we had worse fights. For her, that was probably an easy one because she didn't do anything wrong. She was just there and I was a dick to her. As an SJ type, I'm sure you can understand. Like that one is like, yeah, Peter was a dick. Whereas the fights we had when we were together where she did something wrong, that's the one that sticks with you. And that's the one that you, you carry with you. That one was like in the room. I was like, hey, you did this. She's like, I don't think I did. But if I did this, I'm like, rah, 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 rah. she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't remember doing that. But if I did, I'm sorry. And I won't do it again. And I'll try to learn from it. And then the next day when I'm like, hey, you didn't do that. She's like, oh, that makes more sense. Yep. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I have to a single tweet explanation is it was four years ago. I'm a different person now. <laughs> no, that's not quite fair. I'm not a different person. But like I've, uh, ho- hopefully you'll back me up on this. Like I've grown and changed and developed a lot as a person in that, as, as we all do. But that very much accelerated my growth and development and change. I feel strongly that the moment contributes to why we're so close. Because I think for me, 
Because you're a glutton you, for punishment and you're that's like, hopefully what it he'll is. do that I'm someday. like, one day he'll say some <laughs> nasty things to me. <laughs> um, no, but like, I think you, like to me, especially as like your podcast, Peter, and you're part of Being Honest with My Ex and throughout Being Honest with My Ex, you were kind of this like rock for SJ and you had this particular persona. And I would say like you had... you didn't show very many flaws throughout that time, I think. And like, you're very self-assured <laughs> and confident. And that A lot of people would disagree, but carry on. Yeah, but yeah, I, including me, I suppose, to be honest, because I think I was very clear about your flaws when yeah, I came yeah, into were, this relationship. I, I can pull up the email if you want. <laughs> I said to, to your girlfriend the other day, <laughs> just out of context, I just sent this email, it was great. Dear God. <laughs> but I do think that some of that self-awareness that you've gained made you a little bit a little bit human and then I mean subsequently all the things I know about you since then but I think it all made you even more human and more approachable and that was sort of that was, I think that that's part of what shapes our friendship is you are human and approachable and I appreciate those things about you gotcha one of these reasons it ended we always said that we would keep on doing it as long as it was fun to do mm-hmm. and so there were two massive factors in why we stopped one was that after that episode it stopped being fun for me it really really <laughs> stopped being fun yeah. But the other one, and I feel compelled to mention this, is that SJ's microphone would click every two to five minutes at random and ruin the sentence she was saying. And we'd have to stop and start that audio again. And that drove me up the fucking wall and she couldn't fix it. And so, like, neither of those things by themselves, I think, would have stopped the podcast. But in combination, it was, it was, it was enough. Much. I couldn't do it. A click. A click. <laughs> it sounds so little. But like, okay, so while, while we've been recorded a few times, you've tapped the table and I've had to be mm-hmm. like, hey, sorry, you tapped the table. We need, we need to go back and say it again. I'm not, I'm not saying this to call you out just because it's a very concrete example. Imagine that not through you touching anything, just a microphone doing it in the middle of like a sobbing. And that's the moment that I, re- sorry, SJ, sorry, just, just cut that. <laughs> oh, no. can, can you just, can you just start that thought again? That thought that you were saying about the moment that you realized that, you know, you knew how to love again after a long battle with emotions, <laughs> just pause. Okay. Now go back. Here's the last thing you said. Oh, oh, oh okay, cool. Sorry. Uh, uh, what was it like? It was so infuriating. <laughs> that's terrible. That's and terrible. especially because she couldn't hear it on her end. So I had to be the fucking click cop. Yeah. So I had to be like, hey, SJ, you know, the thing that it's happened again. Stop. Start again. Because it's happening. Really That's really oh. Anyway, I feel like I have to. I, I had to share that, that it was uh, two things that stopped the podcast from happening. Not just the one. Not just the one. One we could have we could have gotten through. But the two. Who boy, howdy. Why do you and SJ break up? because <laughs> we both fell in love with you frankie we're yes. both like i want frankie no i want frankie i want frankie and as you can see i won i, I got frankie it's great god damn it god damn it okay I, I won't tell you why we broke up i'll tell you why i won't tell you why we broke up okay i'll take literally anything i can get i've wanted to know since episode fucking one <laughs> <laughs> what, what's funny is that i refuse to tell you in real life as well <laughs> so cast your mind back to a few minutes ago when we were talking about the fucking <laughs> rape joke yeah how i went backstage and like i sat on it for a few days and i just constructed this narrative in my head that just wasn't real didn't happen not the actual situation at all i made it up i think that's what's happened with the breakup i think that i have a very clear story in my head of why we broke up and i don't think that it's connected to reality (laughs) i i think that like sure some of the things happened but i don't think that that's why we broke up SJ and I have also not discussed the breakup because we know it'll make a killer podcast episode. And so me telling the breakup story would be me telling this story that I've made up without her being here to defend herself, which is A, not fair, B, probably not true, and C, such a squandering an opportunity to have her be like, whoa, 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 you think that I did that? You did that. And me being like, I did that? Oh my God, that makes so much more sense. Or like, that's not how I remember it at all. The breakup between me and SJ was emotionally devastating. It was it was crushing. I spent, you know, six months to a year recovering from it, which maybe is not that long in the scheme of things. Now I'm an old man, but like at the time felt like a very long time. And so all that time I was calcifying my story. <laughs> Which, hey, might be completely true. I'd be surprised, but it might be completely true. And then similarly, I, I suspect SJ was probably doing the exact same thing. Like, right. And so we don't know why we broke up 
in reality, all we have is our conflicting stories. So the, the closest we could possibly get to explaining how we broke up would be getting in a room together, telling our stories, working out what bits could be true, what bits couldn't be true. And then ideally like getting other people on who are around and they'd be like, no, that didn't happen at all. Or like, oh no, SJ's story is exactly right. That's exactly what happened on that day. That's why I can't and won't tell the breakup story, even in real life, because it's like, I can tell you the story that I've written in my head about why we broke up, but I don't know how much connection that has to reality at all. Right. You know what I think? I think it's like your hook. Like, it's that thing. You're like, they're always going to hold out to wait and hear. You know how, like, there's movies that have that where it's like, you never know what actually happened. And that's why you keep watching and want to (laughs) know. I mean, the movies do that because that's how reality works. <laughs> like, in improv, it's called a Rashomon based on a, um, a Japanese film. Uh, the, the, in the film, you see the same scene five times, each time from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. But they don't just literally, like, move the camera. If it's the, if it's the child watching, then the dad is, like, this hero. And if it's the dad doing it, then the wife is this, like, sniveling cow. And if it's the wife doing it, then the husband is this awful, abusive man or whatever. I, I haven't seen it. This is me making up an example. Because that's how, you know, that's as close as we as humans ever get to perceiving reality mm-hmm. is I have my perspective, you have your perspective. We put them together and try to work out what could actually be in the middle, but we're never, we're never going to reach it. <laughs> no, it's really true. Movies that do that are more accurate than a movie that's like, here's exactly how it went down. Mm-hmm. So interesting. It's also terrifying when you think about like, just like perception as a concept and like the way that we create memories and then like they slowly shift over time and how they're all just so slippery and liquid really so one of the most fascinating things that i've learned in the last few years is how you not how to as a a guide but how false memories get imprinted in children Mm -hmm. so do do you know this is this a thing you're familiar with i have heard something about it i don't know that i've heard about it from you but i've definitely heard something about false memories being imprinted in children I can't remember the age range, but there's a certain age range that if you bring them in and you're talking to them and like, you know, you've got a rapport, you're not just a strange person. And you're just like, hey, do you remember last week when you went down the stairs and there was a bunny downstairs? And the kid will be like, no. And you're like, okay, cool. You bring him back next week and you say, hey, do you remember when you went downstairs and there was a bunny downstairs? And the kid will be like, I think so. Yeah, because when you tell them the first time, they visualize it. They basically like run a, run a thing of the head of like, did I go downstairs and see a bunny? And then they compare that story, if you will, to their memory. And they're like, yep, nothing there. No memory of that. So they're like, I imagine myself walking downstairs and finding a bunny. Nope, that doesn't match up with any of my memories. That didn't happen. Then the second time, like, do you remember the bunny and all that? And they're like, they tell themselves a story. And now there is something in the memory. It's last week when they told themselves that story. And they're like, oh, yeah, there is like this does match something in my database. There is something in my memory bank like that. Huh. And then the next time you ask them, they're like, yeah, I distinctly remember that because now like that memory has not only been formed the first time, but it's also been reinforced the second time. And now it's just a fact to them. Mm -hmm. And they will swear black and blue that that actually happened. And they're not Mm -hmm. lying. They're not like trying to be cool and telling you what you want to hear. As far as they're concerned, that's as real as any actual memory that happened. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's why I was saying, like, during the long break, it calcified because I told my breakup story to all my friends and to my mm-hmm. family and to, like, everyone to the point where I told the story so much that I'm no longer comparing that story to what happened. I'm remembering that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's like there's certain markers like when you retell a story, there's certain markers that you say to people, and then those become the most important markers when in fact exactly. at the time something could have been glossed past or it could have been a bigger piece of it, and you've just forgotten that one little detail that doesn't come out next time, and then it just like keeps evolving. It's yeah, the human memory is so wildly unreliable. They've they've done studies where they ask soldiers who have just come back from the war, how many people did you kill? What happened here? What happened there? And then they've found those same people 30, 40 years later and asked them the same questions, completely different answers. Like they've gone from having killed a hundred people to killed one person or no people or whatever. It's who we want to be. And this is again, the argument on the bed. Like I didn't want to be the person who kept on bringing up my own bad joke and ruined the show. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be that person. So who could have been that person? Well, it must have been SJ. And so like that that was the story I told myself until I believed it. And this is the thing that blows my mind. If we didn't have the recording of that show, that would have stayed as my truth. That's wild. That's 
terrifying to me. I would never have, never, ever, ever have gone back and been like, maybe I was the bad guy. Maybe I was the one who brought it up and ruined the show for everyone. No, it was obviously SJ because that's how I remembered it. Yeah. I, I don't, like, as, as you've probably heard just in this podcast, it makes me a much worse storyteller, but I just don't trust my memory <laughs> anymore. Will there be a next time? What's happening in this space going forward? Are you just going to put this podcast up and then like forget it and it's never going to exist again? <laughs> or is like SJ going to finally come back? Or do, do SJ and I get to make a podcast? Dreams do come true. <laughs> uh, I can ask her. That would be great. So you and I have talked about this. So uh, this is not a surprise to you. But if people have enjoyed this episode and if they're like, Frankie's good, I would love to pick up the podcast again with you and I doing it. Because as I said, this was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I love this show so much. I love doing it. I loved having done it. I love having this record. Like, like I said, I just love having a record of stuff because memory's so unreliable. Having this record of where I was emotionally, where I was a person. Because like, I don't make a lot of the jokes that I made five years ago, for example. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I made those jokes. Because otherwise, like I said, we write this narrative where I was like, maybe I made one of those jokes once in a while. But you go back and listen to one. It's like, you know, racist joke here, sexist joke here. Ha ha ha. I found it very amusing and SJ didn't and that was sort of sort of what the bit was but like if you'd asked me and I didn't have the record of it I'd probably be like oh yeah I probably made one or two of those because I'm looking at it all through the current Peter lens not from the like lens of the Peter who thought it was very very funny and had no issue putting himself out there like that yeah I would love to keep doing this show with you and again I've discussed this with you so it's not me putting you on the spot yep but if everyone listening is like, we hate Frankie, then uh, email me and not Frankie, because I don't think she can handle that. Um. I'm not giving you my email address. I definitely can't yeah, handle no. that. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is that this is one of the things that I've ever made that people have connected with the most. I think because it's so raw. I think, I think SJ having a fan base probably helped with that to a certain extent. But people came who didn't know either of us and just loved the fact that we were just pouring our hearts out on this show. Which neither of us had any compunctions doing either. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a bit, it was just, we're very open and honest people. And so I think, yeah, between like, I loved doing it. I got a lot out of doing it. I never really wanted to stop. Maybe I did again, who fucking knows. I'll have to go back and find out and be like, SJ's like, please, Peter, can we please do the podcast? I'm like, no, we shall never do it again. And the fact that it connected with people and people have said that it made their lives better. Here's the important thing. It exposes them to different viewpoints yeah. from their own, which I think is so vital and not to get all political, but especially today, it's really <laughs> like, it's really easy to, to echo chamber yourself and to exclude anyone who doesn't think exactly like you. Yeah, you're really, really good at avoiding the echo chamber. Like you're really, it's something that I really admire about you is that you often put yourself in circumstances to remove yourself from that echo chamber. And I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, thank you. That's very nice. Uh, this, this is part of why I don't like the idea of cutting someone out of my life because they make me fight more. Because part of me is like, well, Peter, maybe they're making you fight more just because you disagree. But I think it really is like, it's a few different factors. Anyway, that's very nice of you to say. It's true. I, cool. I didn't doubt that. Any compliment about me, I assume is true. It's, it's the same, but <laughs> it's a nice bit. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes my list of official questions. You want some unofficial questions? Yeah, give me some unofficial questions. <laughs> you were so proud of yourself. I want to hear these questions that you set up. <laughs> oh, God. So I wrote down these questions and I said, why did you break up? And then the question after that is, why did we break up? But we didn't break up. <laughs> We're still together. We're still beautifully together. <laughs> yeah. Have, uh, this is actually something I was going to ask earlier. Have you and I ever had a fight? No. Is that weird? No. So we've had work situations where I've been bristly. <laughs> oh yeah yeah but that, I, I, don't, I don't count that like but that's it like that's the extent of it i think the thing is we don't have enough stake in each other's lives to have a fight gotcha in the sense of like we can disagree agree to disagree and that's totally fine and it like there's so few like we choose to be in each other's lives there's no instance where we're like forced to be embroiled together and so like there's no the conflict just doesn't arise so if we keep doing this show as co-hosts, then that introduces stakes. That gives us the potential for fights. It does. Is there, and work does too. I mean, working. I think working together does give us the potential for it. But I think... That's true. I enjoy it so much, I couldn't possibly, like, actually argue. So... We also have, and I hope this is okay, uh, a bit of a hierarchy there. In that, like, as friends were equals, when we work together, I'm hiring you for yeah. a specific job. You're, like, actually just paying me money. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, I want it this way. And if you're like, well, I think this is dumb, you're still going to be like, yeah, but he's paying me money. But he's paying me money, so so I'll just do it his dumb way if that's what he wants. (laughs) Yeah. 
have you have you ever felt that have you ever like gotten to the a part of the project where you're like peter this is I won't say it, but this is such a dumb way to do it, but okay, we're doing it the dumb way. <laughs> yeah, there have, there have been one or two things on some of the projects that we work on that I'm just like, I just disagree so fundamentally about this, but I'm just doing it because <laughs> he's paying me the money and he feels strongly. And like, I always put it out there. Like, I'm like, I wouldn't do it this way. And you're like, I really, I need it this way. And I'm like, then yeah. that is how you shall have it <laughs> because that's just the nature of it. I think also the n- nature of our work relationship Um, it's a big relief to me to not have to argue with you on work things, like to be able to just be like, I get to take your direction and just do it because in my other work lives, it's exactly the opposite where I'm giving direction. And so it's, it's such like a relieving counterbalance for me. During the warm up, I asked you if you preferred to be the interviewer or the interviewee and you're like interviewee, no hesitation. And this is a similar kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I had a question in here that was, why are we friends? And are we close? Because people know that like we became friends, but, and I think you sort of answered it, but then I was like, is it useful context for people? I don't know. So I think that we are friends. I think that we are close. If, if I'm wrong about that, you can <laughs> break my heart, that's fine. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're, we're very, we're friends and we're close. So we, we have an interesting friendship because like we became friends. We were hanging out a lot. You and Max never really got along. And then you moved out of the town and I was very busy in my marriage. And so we just didn't talk for like a year, like a year and a half, two years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you moved back to town, got your wonderful girlfriend who I love, and then got heavily into board games. Board games! (laughs) And board games is my jam. So we became board game buddies, which my theory of friendship is always like, if you want to be friends with someone, find a reason to hang out with them regularly. It doesn't matter what the reason is. It can be that you both go to the same church. It can be that you want to play board games together. It can be that you're working on a project, whatever it is, find a reason to be in their lives regularly and you will become friends. During lockdown, I had a friend who we'd always been friends, but we started doing just every week. We would get together, chat for five minutes, turn off our mics, work for an hour, turn on the mics, say goodbye, leave co-working basically it was was a way of making sure that you got stuff done even during lockdown after two months of that we were thick as thieves like we became so close my personal theory is that your brain doesn't know the difference between someone that you see every day because they're your like best friend and someone you see every day for unrelated reasons so if you see someone every day your brain is like ah the person i am very very close with so like board games brought us really close and then after my divorce i came and lived with you for a while and then every time i come to toronto i come stay with you and so we went from like being gimmicky friends to being like yeah we get along we hang out to the great desert of friendship to like closer than ever because we were just hanging out all the time to play board games yeah why are we friends logistically because we play board games together (laughs) emotionally because we i mean i am the kind of person that you are very attracted to and i realize that uh you're more lesbian than not (laughs) (laughs) almost entirely and by almost i mean absolutely entirely kinsey sex let's say you're like a little bit of a lesbian let's just say you know kinsey sex i couldn't couldn't say it louder (laughs) straight but a little bit bi nope (laughs) but my personality type is the type that you date (laughs) it's true we could do a whole episode of this i could dive deep into this like i need friends who express their thoughts on their faces really really visibly you do that i do i need friends who don't lie to me and i don't mean like maliciously lie but who like if i'm like hey do i have sauce on my beard they're not going to be like no you look great (laughs) like people who are like hey peter you are being a dick right now and you need to know this like i need that kind of brutal honesty you do that what you're looking for in, in a person i have and what i'm looking for in a person you have and the third thing is just that you are fascinating to me i find you so interesting i don't know if i mentioned this when you asked like why me it's because you are one of the most interesting people i know thanks you're one of the most interesting people i know thanks i'll take mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. why are we friends frankie i find you really interesting and already said that next Oh, I have to choose it. Wait, am I supposed to repeat back your reasons or am I supposed to give my reasons? Well, I was going to say, you just repeated my reasons back. No, and definitely because you're interesting, because you have multiple skill sets that I find not only like things that I want to have, but things that I want, like that I want to have myself, but also things that I like to have in my life. Like the honesty thing is a big one. Um, And like, you're just really talented, which I find really cool to be around. That's nice. That's a that's a weird one, but I'll take it. Yeah. And and I think I trust you. Like I mm. trust your honesty 
and I feel safe to be honest back. And I think that those are, those things are really important. There's only a handful of people left that I genuinely feel that like safety and comfort to be as honest with you as I am. And I really like it. And I feel it's important to treasure it because I think that those people have sort of the people that I have felt that with in the past have started to dissipate from my life. Like they're sort of starting to go away. And so I think it's important to cherish the ones I have and you're one of them. Yeah. Love it. Well, on that lovely note, let's, uh, let's end the, the episode. Uh, any, any final thoughts or any final questions that you want to ask? Did SJ get through all her emails? (laughs) I want to know now. I'm going to ask her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if we do another episode, that'll that'll be the first thing that I mention. I'll be like, yes, it, good. It, it'll be interesting if we keep on doing this. SJ will possibly listen and then have like commentary. I so want her to have like, a response. There's nothing I want more than to have a conversation with SJ. If we do this, she'll not be on the show, but she would be uh, passively. Know, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it'll if it'll work or what. But uh, she probably won't listen. <laughs> she'll probably be like, nope, hard pass. No, Thank you. No way. No way. Thank you so much for doing the interview. Thanks for asking the questions. Um, Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And uh, if, if you enjoyed this, write us an email, contact at beinghonestwithmax.com. I get those. Frankie doesn't. So you can be uh, as mean as to her as you like, and I won't pass it on. Be as honest with SJ's ex as you want. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like more, let us know, because if everyone hates the idea, we probably won't do it. But uh, no, who am I kidding? I'll probably do it anyway. <laughs> Fun. Uh, what, what, what I'm saying is I want people to write in and be like, yes, please do more. So if, if you do want more, write in and say, yes, please do more. If you don't, let us know. But yeah, that probably won't sway my decision if I'm being totally honest. With my ex, that's all from us. Have we said it? It was like we had a thing that people would say. Do you remember Ooh. the thing? No. Do I remember the thing? Okay, I'm going to give this my best shot. Are you ready? Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Leave us a review. Like this, this is the thing, right? Thanks so much for listening. Leave us a review on iTunes. I don't think we said iTunes. And then it ended with Peter is my favorite son. That was, that was the key. That was the part that I remember the most. <laughs> because Peter couldn't remember his own outro, this week's outro is from AJ Brandon. Thank you for listening to Being Honest with My Ex. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review, and tell your friends. Peter is my favorite son. If there are any questions that you uh, feel should have been asked but weren't, email them in. We'll do another round. That's all from us. I'm Peter C. Hayward. I'm Frankie. Clarkson. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you're doing like a Madonna thing, like a mononym. Just like, like one I'm Frankie. Word. That's it. Frankie. Frankie. <laughs> Bye. Bye.